Hello and welcome to the Global Insights Podcast, brought to you by SPS, your reassuring partner in times of need. My name is Laura Woods and I'll be your host. And throughout this series, over the next few weeks, we'll dive into real stories, feature expert insights and thought-provoking discussions that should strike a chord with anyone who values safety, security and the thrill of exploration. And today we're really looking forward to having Brittany Galley on the podcast with us. Brittany is a force in the world of C-suite strategy and management consulting, boasting an impressive 15 years of expertise. Her focus on leveraging technology and data-driven approaches to fuel innovation and foster organizational growth has been a huge contributor to her success. But what truly sets Brittany apart is her unwavering commitment to cultivating diversity and inclusion in business. Founder of BFG Ventures and holding the chair position at the Global Women in Security Community, ASIS, Brittany's influence and dedication extends far and wide. Brittany, we are delighted to have you on the podcast. How are you doing today? Very well. Thanks for having me, all of you. We're delighted to get the opportunity to chat to you. You are one busy lady. I don't know how you managed to fit it all in, really. And we'll get to parts of your career in a moment. But you might bring us back to the beginning and tell us a little bit about what you studied and where your interests lay when you initially began your professional career. Yeah, I think it's always interesting to talk with people, not only in the security world, but in the non-security world and say, you know, how did you get here? And I can say my path was not as a straight trajectory from even when I graduated college forward. But I started in finance, um, graduated from Eberhardt School of Business from University of the Pacific in California, where I grew up. And it was my dream to go there. So that was a wonderful thing. Got accomplished that one early. And um, ended up in a consulting and operations for finance charter and education schools in the Bay Area. That led on to management consulting. Um, and then eventually I brought me over to the East Coast where I worked as a management consultant for the C-suite for some financial institutions, which everybody is more than aware of. And then from there, took that on to IT software and um, started with where I helped co-found one of the, my, my original startup company in the technology space in the security industry. And then we sold that. And then I started my own consulting company again here in the security space and and for honestly, just the C-suite in general. Um, but that has kind of, like I said, led me from finance to technology, you know, to SaaS business, to enterprise. And then now here I am back at the C-suite. So, yeah, it's been it's been quite the ride. I love following the career path, as you say, from finance to technology um, and into the security sphere. When did your interest in security begin? Was it because it was such a huge part of the previous industries that you were in and it was so important or was it because it was just evolving so quickly, that industry? Yeah, it was more the space in which the original company that I worked with and kind of co-founded was in the security space originally. It then expanded into facilities and hospitality. So it was really kind of a branch of what I was interested in. But really what got me into, I'll say, and knee deep inside the security industry was women in security. Um, I needed a network and I needed a community to join. And eight years ago, I joined Women in Security and kind of never looked back. And that was kind of my network and, you know, advisory board of what to do. And um, it's proven now is to be, like I said, a heart and a passion of mine. So it's it was actually more of that. The network inside of security is what lured me in. And there was a lot of amazing mentors that did that. Tell me about women in security. What is the ratio, uh, women to men, in this sphere? 
So it's kind of interesting because I will say it's not like tech. So coming from tech and coming from financial services industries, it's very, you know, 50-50. The women are there. Women have always been there. They've been, you know, present, whether it's the manager level or executive level. Well, in security, when I got there, it was kind of kind of surprising um, at a, only 11% of the industry was actually female. I think that's grown now. Probably we're now up to between 13 and 15%. But still, we are not anywhere close to where we should be in the CS. And I'll give this example because it's a good data stat. CSO Center of ASIS, there's um, almost 500 CSOs. And of that, only 9% are actually females. What's your personal opinion? Why are women not attracted to the industry? Or is it that women find it difficult to break into the industry? It's not particularly welcoming. Yeah, I always say it's a like a five-pronged problem. <laughs> One is the confidence level. Mm -hmm. um, we find that women are not applying for positions because they think one little tick box, they're not qualified, so they don't apply. Um, that takes, I'll say, support of those around them to push them to go apply and say, well, worst case is you don't get it, but at least you applied. Um, that's one of the problems is kind of build it, building up our community to say, hey, go and apply. And again, if you don't get it, you don't get it. But there are companies out there looking for a diverse workforce. So go do it. The other problem is, is that a lot of the talent's leaving. We're, we're generally really good recruiters right now of finding talent. We're not really good at keeping them. Uh, we see a lot of people come into this industry right now and leave. And that's, again, a problem that we're trying to solve is making that. And that was kind of my goal at women in, in the women's security world is how do we create a podium for them to speak at? How do we create a chair for them to sit at the boardroom table? And how do we create a community in which they feel safe and secure and a place for them to actually, you know, benefit their careers and just feel confident in the spot that they're in in this industry because it is a dog eat dog world. Why are they leaving? Yeah, I feel like I feel like a lot of them are leaving. Um, you know, not it doesn't have anything to do with money, but support. Right? They need they as when you get in these positions and you are maybe the only female in the room, it is very difficult to not feel intimidated. And it's up to great leadership teams to figure that out and, and feel, make them feel supported in their decisions. Maybe they're not right all the time. It doesn't matter. But at least, you know, you've given them the opportunity to be a great leader in a great position and make great decisions. What has the feedback been like? I mean, you are holding the chair position at the moment uh, at the Global Women and Security Community. What has the feedback been like from your colleagues? Um, I think, you know, this, what, what I've said in the last even, you know, eight to nine months is the snowball has formed and it's getting bigger and bigger. And now it's, you know, it's the, the fire has started. And that's what we've kind of been waiting for is this, I'll say, hump with us to get over this hump of, OK, now everybody gets it. We're, you know, we need more female leadership in this in this industry. Now it's my job just to throw a lot of gasoline on the fire and, you know, make it explode. Well, you're doing it very well because you're the expert in mergers and acquisitions. Actually, you've gone through it yourself, so you're well-placed to discuss it because you've gone through that process. When we're considering mergers and acquisitions of companies, what are the main security risks involved? I mean, is it to do with employees? Is it to do with uh, merging of two cultures and the security risks that go with that? So, I mean, like I said, the, the interesting part is that my background, too, is being an entrepreneur, right? And then, and then selling a company. It is not only a learning experience, like I said, professionally, but emotionally as well. Um, going through building a company, selling it, you know, the, the ups and the downs and, and the control, right? And all those things, that emotional intelligence that you need to, to get through that exercise, I think, is something that's very stated. But um, one of the things that I think in the security world is, you know, there's this kind of divergence right now where 
you know, security, I think, is, has been in the past about 10 to 15 years behind. It's finally catching up. And there are some, I'll say, market kings, PE companies that are in existence right now that we know are kind of running some of these these acquisitions. Um, Allied, as an example, they scooped up as much of the industry as they possibly could in the last, you know, five years, very tactically. Um, and and for good reason, right? Is you know, I think what it did was it cut a lot of the fat out of this market, and you know, only the good survive, and that's that's what's happened. COVID proved that security is really its own budget line item, which I'm so happy about. We finally got there. But as far as M and A goes, you know, the the companies that you know, the VCs, they always want the three to five year exit. And in my world, it was always how do we get to that? You know, how do we get to that place where? You know, you're creating a company or you're creating an industry, I'll say level of companies that, you know, can be absorbed in that, you know, initial one to three years. And then a VC comes in and it creates this new bandwidth for, you know, the, I'll say, explosion of technology inside of the security industry, which is what we've been waiting on. And it's finally happening, I'd say in the last 24 months, probably. Do you feel when companies are about to merge or if one is taking over another, that security has become much more of a priority now? than it might have done five five years ago even. Absolutely. Like, you know, the mom and pops and I think, you know, facilities, janitorial hospitality, those companies that are that are there, um, it's become a blended team. So, th- I mean, that's the beauty of it is it's become a workforce that, you know, works together versus apart. And the software has to catch up to do that. And I think that's what's happening right now is we, we have these te- this technology piece of the industry that's finally catching up. And whether that's, you know, robotics or you know, alarms, alarms, or the NFC wallets, or, or any of that, it's finally catching up. And it's finally there. It's present for security to leverage. And I think that's big for, you know, the, a majority of the industries that are exist today. Where is the money right now in security? <laughs> the money? I, I wish there was more of it. No. Um, what, what's interesting is that, you know, I think the you know, everybody, as we know, the markets and the inflation and everything else and rates and prime and everything else, M&A is down about 50% of what its normal deals were um, even two years ago. So, I mean, that's down 50% from 1 billion. And so what it did was, again, it kind of weeded out all these deals that weren't really that good. And that that's a trend in the market. AI is obviously the biggest adoption, and and I think in the largest the largest topic in mergers and acquisitions right now. Um, and PE is moving quicker than normal just to get the deal versus um, trying to slow down timing, which is interesting because PE's never really done that before. But you know these partners are acquiring you know lots of companies right now just to beef up their infrastructure and their core, and that hasn't happened usually. Usually, what they're they're driving you know their acquisitions on is revenues, sales, and you know the three to five years exit strategy. But what you're seeing is a lot of companies are merging not just again for those sales numbers, but it's to beef up you know what they have at their core. And again, we haven't seen that before. Um, at least I should say this. At least in, since you know the 08 crash. But simply, there's just more distressed companies. COVID finally affected everything, which is, you know, like I said, we knew it was coming. It was just a matter of when. And, you know, I still think, you know, cash is king. If you don't have to lend and you can acquire something now, now's the time. And I think you've got about probably between now and June of next year to do that um, because things will hopefully turn around, you know, as far as inflation goes, rates and everything else and kind of bring us back to normal, you know, end of next year. What role does AI play in M&As? 
You know, it's funny. I was having a conversation with the CIO of a major defense company and actually three, three more other, three other companies at the same time. And it was kind of a, an interesting panel discussion. And, and he said, I said, you know, what's the, what are you doing with AI? How do you, how are you going to decide what to do with it? And his, his answer was very frank. He said, look, he said, you can't be scared of it because it's either build, buy or get run over. And I think that's exactly the way most companies are thinking about AI now is we don't, we can't, we can't ignore it right? It's like the internet, it's coming. But it is really build it, buy it, or get run over. I think a lot of the companies are cautious. They're setting up governance teams on purpose, um, specifically ahead of time to figure out how they're going to govern the thing before they either build or buy it. And um, I think that's really smart. And it's really interesting to watch. And I, and I use this example because I think it's great. But you know, Bloomberg's been using AI for the last 10 years, right on the markets. And it's now it's now just become a popular you know newsfeed item, but at the same time it's been around us for quite some time. Now it's just popping out of okay now now what do we do with it? And I think governance is huge. So not to be scared of it, I like what your colleague said during your panel discussion. You know you're going to have to utilize it and make it work for you and not run away from it. It's like we all felt about the internet, you know, 15 years ago. Exactly, exactly, and it and it is true. You know when enterprise SaaS and sales came out you know, with technology in, in most of these companies, it was very interesting to see, you know, kind of where everybody landed and where everybody really landed over the last, let's say, and even from an infrastructure AWS side, they really landed on the 80-20 model. So it was really, you know, 80%, you know, buy SaaS and 20% custom or build. And that's an interesting conversion because I actually think we're going to be about there with AI when we get done with kind of this revolution, if you will. Um, we should probably be about that as nobody's nobody's model is going to be perfect for you, but who can really afford an, an AI team to come in and do it? Um, and I think really where the, where the actual money is, is AI services companies. So I'm going to call it a rent an AI expert, right? Th those are the companies as management services companies are the ones that are going to make the real money in the next five years. That's a really interesting point. So looking to the future, your predictions will be AI services companies, which would make sense. So you have all of these professionals and you're just going to hire them. AI as a service or, you know, like I said, rent an expert, you know, an AI expert. Like there's, you know, the, the Deloitte's and the, the big four consulting companies are doing it now. They've set up teams now even a couple of years ago. But, you know, again, who trusts who anybody in this world is really it. And so that's really the thing is once we start trusting a bit more, like I said, I said, there's money to be made there for sure. Can we focus on MoboHub? This is the company that you built and then you sold it as well. How did it benefit the security sector, first of all? Yeah, so it was really for that workforce. So if you think about um, our, our target market was really, you know, security, facilities, management, hospitality, janitorial. And where that came from stemmed was really that there were just wasn't any technology that was easy to use. And that was really the, the basis of it is created an affordable, easy to use technology that, you know, the $15 an hour guard could do. And um, what's wonderful, like I said, is just seeing something like that take off and going from, like you said, finance to technology and, and, and then in an industry that that wasn't really tech savvy and kind of teaching and showing them how to break through that was really fun. And like that was, you know, one of a life goal that you can't you can't replicate. How was MoboHub used uh, in a practical sense? Practical sense is if you think about the guard touring sense, uh, guard tours when they go around and they you know do their tours or their their incidents and and or their daily logs, those types of things. You know, it all had GPS um, GPS on it, so it could you know track and understand where things were happening in real time. 
And um, that's really what it did for the industry is it kind of, like I said, there were other competitors and that was, that was kind of the interesting part about how I got really interested in the M&A piece of the security industry was that, you know, we were one of the little guys on the block, but it was really interesting to compete with the big guys on the block that had the PE funding, that had the VCs behind them. And you learn a lot, right? You learn a lot about how that market works and how to get money and how not to get money and, and all those things, right? Um, but ultimately, it just comes down to grit. You know, as, a, as an entrepreneur, regardless of what industry it is and what technology you've built or what services company you're building, um, it comes down to grit. What advice would you have for listeners who potentially might be going through the same thing shortly or thinking about it, selling their company? Yeah, I cater generally to a lot of those that I know that, you know, don't have as, be- as best of the board of advisors. But my number one is, you know, you need a board, a network around you of people that you can trust the opinions of. And my new thing is, is never get less than five opinions on something. If you're trying to make a decision, if you're trying to pick a strategy, always get five because it's more than not even number, so it'll outweigh it. But I've done, I've learned more about getting five opinions than formulating my own than just trusting one or two people because it never works. That is fascinating. So you'll get five opinions, you'll have your own opinion. And do you usually go with your instinct and ignore the majority or will you always go with the majority? No, that's the unbiased part of it. You have to have an unbiased. <laughs> I mean, that's, but see, that's the beauty. That's why I think the beauty of having smart brains around you is I've always said that, and I started a, a group in security called um, Getting Security Done. It's that we call us the GSD group. It, it honestly started from a 10 to 15 of us in the industry that were, uh, you know, between the ages, let's say, of like, you know, 28 and 40 that said, hey, if we're ever going to move this industry forward, we have to you know, get farther ahead faster. It's not going to work. And getting security done was really that is it was a bunch of really amazing rock stars that said, let's go. What are, you know, no, stop telling us no, let's do it. But what, one interesting thing was, is that's the group that I go to for advice. And what's great about it is, is it's there, you know, you got to create that group around you of people that you trust. And it's got to be quite a few, never just trust one, build that network around you and build your web of intelligence. You've worked in finance, in tech, in security. You've built companies, sold companies. What's next for you? What other ambitions do you harbor? Because I feel like you're only getting started, really. Change the world, right? For the better. That's the goal. And why not? Yeah, why not? Why not? No, um, that's the other thing is like I've, you know, I've always, some of my friends have said, you know, you, you vision things much farther ahead. And it, it is true. I can, I feel like I can see 10 years out. And that gives me the benefit of being able to work backwards, right? But right now, I honestly just want to help the security industry get farther ahead faster. We are at a, a very interesting, um, I'll say, path right now where if we don't catch up, we're going to be farther behind. And my goal right now is to help these C-suites really understand what they're missing, what they're not doing, and how it's really going to hurt them in the very near future, two to five years out. What do you mean by that, Brittany, in terms of catching up? Catching up, meaning, you know, not just technology, but cyber. There's a client that I had that we just did an assessment on, and they were so far behind, they didn't even know it. But that's not the bad part. The bad part is not only not knowing it, but then do, not doing anything about it, right? And, and that's where I think a lot of these companies and clients that I work with, you know, it's like the aha moment, but cyber's their biggest weakness, Right. And we know with the the AI that's coming, the technology that's coming, the faster that they can get their wheels turning, the faster the risk goes away. And Brittany, are your clients open to 
improving their cybersecurity? Are they open to all of the suggestions that you would make to them or is there still some hesitance there? No, they they definitely are. I think where their, I'll say, lack of confidence is, is that it's sometimes outside their real space. Some of these CSOs or CISOs are very technically savvy. Some of them are not, right? Some of them come from a military background that, you know, operations is their their heart and soul. And one of the things that we have to build into, like I said, our kind of our plans is, you know, how do we change manage that? How do we create the, you know, organizational change around thinking cyber first and then everything else after? You know, is it safe? Is it single sign-on? Is it those things? We have to think cyber first. And that's just the way the world's going. It's kind of creating that change management inside of that leader, which is, like I said, kind of the nuts and bolts of it. I said earlier, I don't know how you find the time, but you are also writing an ebook series for security leaders. Could you tell us a little bit more about that and when we can expect to get our hands on it? Yeah. So just right around the first of the year, it's basically geared towards the learning lessons, right? Is what it, what has another CSO gone through? What has another CISO gone through? You know, what did we learn from? And I'll, I'll give the example of the MGM incident that, you know, that was hacked, you know, just recently in Vegas. What did we learn from physical security cameras and GSOCs getting hacked? Um, what did we learn from a GSOC implementation that went terribly wrong, right? So it's kind of these learning lessons and stories throughout the industry that um, I'm creating, you know, like I said, the quick study guides of, you know, what do I do as a CSO? What did they run into that I might run into and how do I avoid it? And here's the steps to avoid it. But that's basically who it's for as long as well as women in security. There's um There's a lot of stories that I've heard over the last 10 years that I think just deserve a stand. And if they're not going to do it for themselves, I'm going to put this out for them to revel in because the amount of accomplishment um, for some of these women in security will, will genuinely inspire an entire next, next generation of security female leaders. And that's what I want to get it out there for. And that is so important, as you say, to inspire future generations, because we have to get that percentage up from 13%. It's grown by 2%, I, I believe you said, but 13% is still very low in the wider industry. We have to 28 times the talent pool of females to get to where we want to be in five years. And that's kind of my goal, is how do we 28 times the female talent pool and security to get to where we want to be in five years? Can I ask who inspired you in your career? Yes, my husband did as what well, because he was in technology and he taught me basically everything I know, <laughs> as well as um, I would say there's about three female leaders, Donna Kobzarek, Lloyd Manning, Elizabeth Moss Lander, all of them in women in security, you know, kind of sat and Maria Dominguez specifically, I would have never been in leadership had they not called me, you know, on a Friday or Saturday and said, just get involved. We need you and we want you. And it takes two or three people to say that, but eventually I got into leadership and then it's been the best thing for me. Their belief in you obviously paid off. Yep. And I always say it's a push and pull. So you've got to push and pull people into, into leadership. And I've learned that lesson because I was that person myself. So I'm constantly pulling on people, you know, to bring up and get involved and that kind of thing. And it just like I said, we create a security family around us. And that's the goal. Create a family that you can trust and that you admire and you want to work with. And I'm sure they are so appreciative of it as well, all of your colleagues um, and people that you have been mentoring over the years. Brittany, it's been an absolute pleasure and so interesting talking to you today. I know that you have a very full on day ahead, but thank you very much for taking the time to chat to us. Thank you, guys. This is great. And like I said, looking forward to hearing more on your podcast. Can't wait. Thanks, Brittany. Bye, everybody. 
A big thank you to Brittany Galley for joining us today on the podcast. Her insights on the intersection of technology and diversity in business, as well as security issues surrounding mergers and acquisitions, were so interesting to listen to. Wishing Brittany continued success. And of course, a big thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in. We'll be back again soon with another SPS episode. In the meantime, stay safe. <laughs>